This is no podcast music. Where's the NPR stuff? Marching band. Come on, man. The Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. It's the final edition of the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft for 2020. And now that it's turning to 21, you know, it's drinking. It's legal. It's serious business. Lots going on in the news, as we all know, before we get to the Antifa versus Mike Strickland story, part who knows how many. I think it's part eight, actually. And it's about the trial. And as we go into the trial for Strickland... And it's fascinating. I mean, it really is. If you have not listened to any of these, you need to start at episode number one and just go on from there. And it's just an additional podcast serial that we're providing for you. I say we, I am providing for you and the Adult in the Room podcast because it's a story that really needs to be told. And, you know, I we've talked about uh, the issue of Antifa uh, the idea of Antifa, the people who adhere to the idea of Antifa, the philosophy that is Antifa, and the crazy nutballs who are Antifa. It's all encompassing. I've gotten so many reactions. Hey, it's just an idea. It's just a thought. It's just a, a philosophy. No, it's not. It's, um, it's, a, it's a belief, and it's promulgated by people who have violent tendencies who will force you to adhere to them and cede to them or else. So I don't call that a choice. I don't call that a legitimate philosophy. What I call that is tyranny and uh, run by a bunch of totalitarians. And I think, as one has pointed out, I think that 2020's big hidden story is the fact that there wasn't more information given about Antifa and Black Lives Matter riots. And I know some people will just go, Victoria, I can't believe you put Black Lives Matter in there. You know, these guys have been of a piece since their very inception. Since we saw them in uh, Ferguson, Missouri, they started out after the Michael Brown situation. And let's not forget, there were three different investigations into that where, A, he was attacking the cop for his gun, and the cop shot back in self-defense. And uh, B, I hope I did it. Was it one and two or A and B? Well, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to do the set. And the second one is uh, that there was no hands up, don't shoot. That was just a fiction born of an overactive imagination by a guy who was high with Michael Brown as they uh, knocked off the uh, local convenience store to get some more uh, supplies to make blunts, and uh, said, oh, yeah, no, he was just innocent. And, of course, the lie, it's, it's been a lie ever since. People refuse to uh, believe it, but I'm sorry, that's just not true. But so Antifa and Black Lives Matter have been together. Occupy, Black Lives Matter. Antifa, Black Lives Matter. Anarchists, Black Lives Matter. They're all together. They're just another faction of the same people. They're just more black people in Black Lives Matter. There aren't a lot of black people in Antifa. I don't know why. It doesn't matter. I guess it's just sort of those privileged white kids' way of reaching back out and socking it to the man. But I think that was the most underreported story of the year. I would say so. I'd say that the most frightening story of 2020, and I wrote about this at PJ Media in one of our VIP columns, and uh, when you can join VIP as well and get a big big, uh, discount when you 
put the code name Victoria in there for PJ Media. Please do that. Um, you know, it always makes me look good and makes them happy with me. So my scariest story of 2020, and I don't like to fear monger. I just like to tell you what's going on and what my interpretation of it is. And it's this moment during the Amy Coney Barrett hearing for her spot on the U.S. Supreme Court as a designee by President Trump. And it was when she used the verbiage of a case that the two were talking about, because Maisie Hirono is one of the dumbest senators in the U.S. Senate. She has actually displaced Senator Patty Murray for being the dumbest U.S. senator. Now, Senator Murray, I'm sure, was very happy when Crazy Hirono came on to the scene because uh, it didn't, then just displaced her from that notoriously... Um, spot, the notorious spot of being the dumbest person in the Senate. I mean, there's some dumb people, and right down there at the bottom, there's Crazy Hirono and Patty Murray. Nevertheless, so Crazy Hirono, and I will call her nothing else, I just want you to know that it's Senator Maisie Hirono from Hawaii that we're talking about, and I call her Crazy Hirono, said to the aforementioned Amy Coney Barrett, that she'd used a bad locution when she said uh, something on the order of um, sexual preference. It was the words sexual preference. And of course, then there was a long break whereupon Crazy Hirono had, uh, when she talked about this, when Amy Coney Barrett talked about sexual preference with respect to this particular case, which was the um, case of, um, I think it was the gay marriage case, and she talked about the fact that uh, sexual preference was an anachronism, and we ought not use that uh, construction of language anymore, and and uh, Coney Barrett said, oh, well, okay, well, that's fine. I don't mean to offend anyone. I just wanted to tell you that, that we're talking about this case. And the, the term was used in the case, and there are different varieties of terms used in the case, and that, that it was all of a sudden um, something in disrepute. We ought not use sexual preference because it connotes the fact that people select their preference. They select their sex. Where I think we know at this point in time, when you've got 57 different genders, according to Facebook and myriad others, you probably actually are choosing which ones you most align with. But nevertheless, you can send me hate mail about that. But I think we all know we're all adults here, right? Because I am the adult in the room. And I tell you that there are people who actually self-select what they want to be known as. Now, I'm not saying that, um, uh, let's just not even get in the weeds. The fact is that she used comments and she used verbiage from the case. But Crazy Hirona wouldn't leave it there. No, no. So they took a break um, after they discussed it, come back, and then Crazy Hirona confronts uh, Barrett on on this uh, locution, and Barrett goes, well, I was just using the verbiage there, and she said, well, Senator Hirono said, this is a term that is an affront to people of all different genders and persuasions, and sexual persuasions, and choice is not a part of it. And so, you know, Barrett straightens her out, and uh, but doesn't do do it like a like she's trying to big timer or anything. She's just saying, okay, well, that's the verbiage in the, in what, in the bill or, or the decision we're talking about. So, uh, but I don't mean to offend anyone. And almost in real time, and here's where I get the you know, most frightening moment of 2020, and almost in real time, 
the Merriam-Webster Dictionary changed the definition of sexual preference to be the number one definition was the sexual preference being a, an incorrect and offensive term used by people. It was the confluence of the left and their handmaidens in the literal, uh, literary community and you know, the, whoever's making up the definitions at the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. This is just shocking. It was frightening. And it's so 1984-ish, I don't even know what to do. I like that T-shirt. You ever see that T-shirt? It says, make, 1980, no, make Orwell fiction again. I'm going to get one of those. I'm going to use it. I'm just going to wear it. Speaking of which, merch. Okay, so this is another thing I wanted to let you know about. Without sounding like a whiner, because I'm going to make, I'm going to triumph on this one. I will not be a whiner on this. Uh, because whining is for losers. Winners sol- find solutions. I'm going to find a solution to this conundrum. So, you know, and I've know we've been talking about our uh, Real Housewives of Antifa and our different mock the block things. We'll have, you know, aprons with uh, the Pantifa rear echelon. We've got all kinds of things made by these am- this amazing artist who shall remain nameless because I'd like him to be able to continue to create for other people and not be censored and canceled. And um, so we got together. I gave him parameters. I told him what I wanted. I told him what I wanted on the figures. I mean, I was this in- I was involved heavily. I just want you to know I just didn't rip them rip them off. I certainly paid very well for him to draw my ideas. And he's so good. So I put them on Zazzle. This is a website wherein you can go and you can choose which ones of my designs you would like to have on your fill-in-the-blank. And uh, shirt, uh, apron, coffee cup, etc. And And so you can choose what you want. And I, they, they've been up in one way or another since November. They've been up there since November. Some to a better extent than the others. I was finding out that the ratings weren't right, so I went back and rechanged the ratings, etc. And I actually have been talking about these figurines at victoriataft.com for, God, I mean, I, I got them. I mean, we finished this project up in July, and so I've just been working on them and making sure that I could get products and I get to a place where that would let me do it and uh, just be in a place where I was, it was a safe space for me. And I looked around and I saw there's a lot of political stuff on Zazzle. So it's not really not a big deal. My, my compatriots uh, who helped me with this podcast said, Oh yeah, this is a great spot. This is great. This is going to work. So I didn't think two hoots about it until the day before Christmas Eve, when I got a note from Zazzle saying that the figures did not comport with their terms of service and that they did not uh, comport with their community guidelines or whatever verbiage it was. I'll put it at victoriataft.com for everyone to see. And I thought, oh, now it comes. The day before the day before Christmas. I mean, I've had them up. I wanted people to use these uh, for Christmas presents. Obviously, all the money that goes into this merchandise turns right back out, so I can afford to do this podcast. Because it's not like you know, I got advertisers coming everywhere because it just started. Oh man, just 
unbelievable. So I get it the day before Christmas Eve, this notice, I'm sorry, they don't comport with our community standards or whatever. And of course, I had previously gone on their website, and I just decided to go on their website again to see what kind of political stuff they had, which which remained, because apparently they're getting very sensitive about political content, even if it falls under the umbrella of satire, which of course these do. And they're so good, and, and they do fall under satire, which is protected speech, by the way, just FYI. And you're not going to believe this, but I found Antifa flags. So you can, you can have Antifa flags, the totalitarian flag of the Antifa movement, on Zazzle, but you cannot have the Trace Fleckas flag, or I think it's Fleckas, Fletches flag. It's the, it's the arrows. Oh, yeah, well, that comes out of history. Uh, yeah, guess what current history is being used, uh, that it, design is being used for Antifa. So don't go telling me that it's moved, it's used for something else. And there's some other stuff too. And there's, there's stuff that trashes Donald Trump. There's stuff that trashes Joe Biden. I mean, they allow it all except me. And I'm mocking the black block. Mock the block. That's me. Maybe, maybe it was the, the real Housewives of Antifa portion wherein I used the uh, guy who was in charge of the, well, at least he said he was in charge, the, war, the, the warlord at the Seattle campout that they were having, the one that erupted into violence and murder and rape in Seattle over the summer, you know, the summer of love thing. And I mocked him and made him part of the Real Housewives of Antifa. And so perhaps they took offense at that. Maybe that was, well, everything, just everything. So what I'm going to do, the bottom line here, I'm not going to whine. I'm not whining. I'm just telling you what happened. They made a political decision. I think they probably got some... Uh, heat from Antifa folks who consistently try to uh, downrate this podcast and have sent me death threats, et cetera, in the past. And I think they probably heard from them. And the reason I think that is because in the days preceding the December 23rd, oh yeah, mm, gosh, wow, announcement from Zazzle, I had done a story in PJ Media and had linked to the products, which I know is self-serving, but it's, it actually served a purpose for the purpose of the story. And so I did that, and all of a sudden they were getting all kinds of hits on it. And I think that's what resulted in, oh, well, this is getting noticed. Usually nobody, nobody gets any attention here. I don't exactly know what's going on. So I'm going to have to print them myself, and I know people who will do it. And um, I don't know how much they're going to cost. I think I'll probably end up just doing T-shirts and cups right now because I think those are the easiest things, the, the things that are believed to be, to be the most useful, Right. So if you know of anyone who you think would like to have that gig, printing my shirts, etc., I know a couple more people, but if you've got somebody who's uh, on the West Coast uh, that could cut down shipping time and it would be pretty, uh, you know, bomb.com, let me know. And I don't mean that in the Antifa bomb.com. <laughs> I don't mean it like that. No. Uh, let's see. What else did I want to mention? Yeah, wildest story, most frightening story. And um, so I would just uh, reach out to you, fair-minded independents and the fair-minded out there who believe that this is a wrong, and I would get in touch with Zazzle. Sure, I would. I've, I've written him a letter, and I've, but you know, it's just a real you know, short thing. Hey, you guys, you guys, do you realize you have Antifa merch on your, on your website? And of course, I'm sure they do. 
This goes to uh, this, have you heard about this University of Tennessee, Knoxville story that the U, uh, that uh, New York Times amplified about a cheerleader who, and I refuse to read it, I'm just reading other people's ex- excerpts from it, because I just don't want to give many clicks on this story, because they've basically ganged up and swatted, if you will, a 15-year-old, then 15-year-old girl who's now going into college. She might be 18, 19 years old, and she got allowed into uh, University of Tennessee, Knoxville, as a cheerleader. She was on the cheer team. So it sounds like it was an athletic scholarship, and if you doubt me that they give athletic scholarships for cheerleading, I'd like you to try cheerleading sometime and get thrown up in the air and have to do those pyramids that are 20 feet top. And I'd also like you to be reminded that they do give out E uh, scholarships. So people who play video games in some schools get scholarships because they're trying to make it a thing. And they have. I mean, clearly, obviously, gaming is huge, but it doesn't require um, physical dexterity. Well, no, correction. It does require dexterity. That's pretty much the only physical thing it requires. That, and of course, you have to have your brain engaged. Um, But... uh, I I don't know. I, it's a please don't no hate. I, I I think gamers are great. I mean, I have family members who are big gamers, and I, and it's and it's great. And I'm sorry I brought it up. But so this chick who got the who's now 18 or whatever. And last June, she was given uh, permission, if you will, to come on in, or maybe it was May. One of the two. You know, they have those drop dead dates, and everything was just messed up anyway. Because the fact of the matter is, uh, COVID has changed everything, and it sucks. So. Um, this chick gets this, uh, she gets in, uh, you know, she's on the cheerleading team. Everything's fine. Rah, 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 sis, boom, bah. And then in June, we hear from the school that, um, yeah, we're going to rescind the offer because hate, we're not about hate. And you you might be wondering if you're reading the Twitter timeline of the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, what the hell they're talking about. And so it turns out we find out in the New York Times story in December where we find out that a kid who went to school with her, who saw her video, she put a video out, this fifteen then 15-year-old cheerleader chick, and she put a video out where she's um, talking about the fact she got her learner's permit, comma, N-word. But not, not you know, that kind of N-word. It was the A-H version of it because that's what she hears. Hey, you know, I think whatever. She purloins the use of that term, which is in every rap song you've ever heard of. And, and so she is, um, he saves it. The kid saves it and turns it over to the university of Tennessee, Knoxville at such time that, um, she gets in and destroys, you know, he's a dream killer. He's a dream killer. He didn't like her using the N word. And it kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? I mean, how in heaven's name does the New York Times even get a part of this? I mean, I think probably people came out of the the woodwork to report that these people uh, who've come out and they've they've said naughty words before. Or remember when um, Gwyneth Paltrow was in Paris watching a Kanye West. Uh, she was at the Kanye West concert, and he does a song called "N Word in Paris." I guess I think that's what it is. I have I have own exactly one Kanye West song and it's stronger and I absolutely adore that song. So just no hate. So she's going along with the lyrics of Kanye West's song with Kanye West on he's on the 
he's on stage. She's down below. She's like in the first row and she is jamming out. She's loving life. She's just singing along with Kanye's song. And uh, she is then momentarily canceled until she uh, prostrates herself. Is it prostrate or prostates? Um, prostrates herself in front of the crowd, the damning crowd. How dare you? How dare you say that word? Well, it's an every doggone rap song. So anyway, um, here's the thing. As one Twitter person put it, okay, great. Let's, let's just do this. We don't allow anyone who has ever said that word, be they black, white, Hispanic, Asian, any kind of person, to say that word, therefore we will not allow it to be uttered on campus. And that means everybody, because apparently it is so corrosive a term that uh, you probably have to get rid of rap music on campus. So that makes no sense, of course. But if you're white, you can't say it clearly. I mean, that's just, it's not right. It's not right to say it anyway. But, uh, you know, I know a white rapper. He's great. He does the song for uh, the Michael Strickland uh, portion of this podcast. And um, he happens to be somebody I know from childhood. So not his childhood, not mine. And so I just approached him and said, hey, can I use your song? And he said, yeah, sure. And he never says that word in any of his raps because he knows he's a white guy and he can't say it. By the way, he's really good. Raps by RC, which of course I've told you about before. But if you, if, if you, if you don't want anybody to mimic your lyrics, then you probably shouldn't put it in there, right? It's so ridiculous. I mean, you know, you know all these black people are going, oh, are you kidding me? In fact, there were several people on the Twitter timeline of the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, going, oh, come on, you guys. Can we actually uh, go after people who are true racists, not just people who mimic, uh, uh, she tried to say at the same time as saying mimic, which is ironic, uh, rap lyrics? Come on. So whatever. So the, the in June, school comes out on Wednesday. Following a racist video and photo surfacing on social media, athletics made the decision not to allow a prospective student to join the spirit program. It's a spirit program. (laughs) She will not be attending the university this fall. So we just want you to know she's been blackballed. Oh, we can't use that. Page one. Wow. And, of course, all these, you know, woke crowd. Well... What about people who do, you know, the fill in the blank? Well, we don't know. They want to enforce thought crimes on campus. And the minute we do that is the minute we get actual parity on the college campus level. You know why? Because then we'll have to say, well, you can't have this thought. Well, we want this thought over on this side. So actually, you might get some more. I mean, I'm just sort of going, reading around the the, uh, curvature of the earth a little bit. And I'm thinking, "Mm, you know, but this could actually result in. No. No, it will never result in intellectual parity. It just won't because the left runs the universities. And, uh, and you know, the fact is, don't send your kids there. Don't. Just don't. Anything with a blank studies uh, program, a blah, blah, it doesn't matter what it is. I, I don't care what it is. The blank, blank, blank studies program, do not send your kid there. Because all it is is a meta discussion and a reformulation of stuff that other departments have already done and 
they continue, they bastardize it. Get your knowledge. If you want knowledge of something else, go to the, the uh, department where you have to actually read books and then come up with it yourself. It's just absurd. I know. Go ahead. So the other thing is, is that no, I'm leaving the campus situation right now. Oh, this is funny, though. Uh, let me just circle that square for you on the whole campus thing. So I decided, okay, well, this is great. I, I just want to make sure my kid goes to a college on the West Coast because I know that's where she's going to find her mate. I just know it. And yes, I believe in marriage. Sue me. And um, so... <laughs> So it'll be easy. You know, we'll all be on the West Coast. It's going to be fun. They'll have their kids. I'll be a grandma someday, blah, 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 blah. Well, what does she do? She goes to Mexico abroad in the abroad program, which is, I mean, honestly, just gorgeous. Just obviously, if you go to Mexico, you know. But this is an interior Mexico City, and it is, it's a UNESCO heritage site. It's absolutely gorgeous and wonderful and people are fantastic fantastico anyway she finds her mate there so guys in mexico so it's like oh god best way he's not even on the west coast he's in the interior of mexico how am i gonna contend with this well anyway i'm contending with it you know oh okay you know my best laid plans you know what you're not in charge this is this is the bottom line you're just not in charge (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I did have one thing happen, West Coast College, university or whatever. Uh, but uh, the rest of it was, oh, okay. But now I have international family, so it's great. Uh, I love these people. He's got the best family. You know what I will say with this about that? My kids, I'm old enough to have kids who are married. My kids have the best in-laws. They have the best in-laws. My goal, because my mother-in-law was fantastic. And I have always contended that my goal is to become half the mother-in-law of that woman, my, who I called my mother-in-law. She was, ah, brings tears to my eyes. Just such a good person. Really, really enjoy it. So I'm, I'm trying. Obviously, I'm a little different than she is. Now, on Tuesday, Mitch McConnell said, hey, you know that $2,000 check? That's not going to happen because guess what? We ain't got no money for that. We've got lots of other things that we've we've got in the, in the pipeline, and in addition, unemployment, etc. All these other benefits that they've already passed in the COVID relief bill, and uh, they're not likely to give the additional two thousand dollars to people instead of the paltry six hundred dollars that Nancy Pelosi came up with when she first denied the uh, what was it twelve hundred dollars that they were talking about initially that the Republicans asked for, but they didn't want all the rest of this pork spending. Anyway, so the pork barrel expenditure plan, expenditure plan, the spendulous, was in fact signed into law by President Trump, which I think is his biggest, one of his biggest mistakes of his presidency. But nevertheless, uh, that happened. So now Mitch McConnell's going, I'm going to make lemonade out of this piece of crap if I have, I mean, I'm going to do everything I can. So what happened was, of course, as you know, Trump sends back the bill and he goes, I'll sign this POS, but but I'm going to, I'm, I'm redlining all these things. And I think that these are the programs we need to get rid of. Now, of course, he knows they don't have a line item. He, the president doesn't have a line item veto. He was making the point that the president should have a line item veto. And this is the kind of crap he would cut out so we can make room, carve out money in the budget. Not that there really is any money in the budget, but nevertheless, we'll pretend there's money in the budget for the $2,000 additional program so that people can have more money because they've been out of work for all this time because of COVID. 
and the tyrannical uh, Nimrods who are in charge. I know Nimrod. Don't, uh, no, no, uh, uh, no emails about that guy either. Victoria at victoriataft.com, by the way. Anyway, so what uh, Trump wanted was he wanted a, an election integrity council established, and he wanted the uh, Section 230 of the FCC code repealed. And so Mitch McConnell's going, dude, come on, man. We're not going to do that. Don't you like my papers? It's my papers. So uh, this is the right policy choice since $2,000 checks are unnecessary and the truly needy have access to expanded jobless benefits, food stamps, child care subsidies, and much more. As for the politics, this is damage control. According to the Politico uh, today, Georgia Senator Kelly Loeffler and Purdue quickly endorsed the $2,000 checks because they, you know, they're looking. They're looking. Speaking of Georgia, which, of course, is the Senate race there. Let's see. Do I, do I bypass that? Or do I go to the lockdowns? Mm -hmm. Let's do Georgia. So today, a Georgia audit confirmed the authenticity of absentee ballots. Law enforcement and election investigators did not find a single fraudulent absentee ballot during an audit of over 15,000 voter signatures, according to a report by the Georgia Secretary of State's office released on Tuesday. And you're thinking, okay, it's over for Trump. It's over. There, there are a few legal machinations uh, yet to unfold, but really, it's probably it's it's probably over. I don't want it to be because actually, while I did have some reticence over his uh, presidency, I honestly, I mean, initially, I think the guy has just done an amazing job for conservatives of and for Americans, not leftist Americans. Clearly, I mean, he's not into that socialism thing, and nor should he be. And if he were, and this is just a huge example of it, um, I would oppose it, which I, by the way, do. But at the uh, hearing on Wednesday about the Georgia election, a guy by the last name of Pulitzer, and I had his name in front of me, but I don't have it anymore. It's no problem. I'll, I'll write a story over at PJ Media about it. But he looked at, he said, the smoke and mirrors of the databases and the uh, the, the um, programs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, he says that's all smoke and mirrors, and people get lost in the weeds on that whole Dominion thing. Here's what you need to worry about. Here's what you need to look at with respect to the Georgia ballots. And he broke them down into Democrat ballots and Republican ballots. And he showed that ballots that were uh, – Democrat ballots did not have an upper barcode on them, nor did they have, or uh, but they also all uh, all aligned. You know, like you have when you are trying to align your printer, and you want to find out if it's working and it's properly aligned and it's going to print over and over and over again. He said the Democrat ballots were aligned. The Republican ballots ballots were not aligned. Furthermore, the Republican ballots had a QR code and the Democrat ballots did not. And I believe it was his contention to say that the Democrat ballots were able to be replicated without any paper trail. Uh, furthermore, the folks in Georgia got rid of the paper ballots, as I understand from his testimony today, on Wednesday, I should say, because I'm cutting it today. But uh, he said that this is both and, oh, by the way, this guy's not without portfolio. Dude is the owner of some 200 pat uh, patents, and he's the guy who came up with QR code technology. 
which is now on every phone in the world, except he said, as he hastened to add, Huawei, which just steals his technology. But he called it both un-American and unacceptable that we would not allow this from, say, Amazon uh, in terms of replicating our orders and then charging us for said order that we did not uh, make. And um, he said, because it's really the story is of the physical ballot. And, you know, back in the day, remember when everybody was making a big deal on, on the Diebold uh, machines, the Diebold machines, which, by the way, are were bought by Dominion. And uh, the left was really in high dudgeon over this, as well as just in 2007, a bunch of uh, Senate Democrats decided, hey, man, this is, you know, these these machines, they suck. Well, his contention was in testimony on Wednesday that it doesn't matter what the machine says. It's really about the paper ballot. Our country was founded on paper. The rules were made on a piece of paper. And he said what happened is he believes as these uh, particular ballots, and he says if he can see the ballots, he will be able to tell the historic um, backstory of every ballot. The folds, whether it was mailed, and uh, whether or not it has already previously gone through a scanner. It is his contention that multiples of these ballots were rescanned, And furthermore, he said that what happens is, and is in every scanning machine, is that the artificial intelligence in the scanner learns from the scans of the previous uh, ballots and therefore builds it in, learns from itself, and begins to replicate it. And he, as I say, he was all about the ballots, the paper ballots. He saw these different anomalies in the Republican ballots vis-a-vis the Democrat ballots. And he said, oh, hell no. No, 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 no. And he sounded not like a nut. You know, like a couple of people at the Georgia hearing on Wednesday were like, oh, yes, I'm so-and-so and I'm in the county and I'm in charge of the voting thing and da-da-da-da-da. And there were anomalies and we were not able to, you know, find out what happened here. And we ran those things 15 times, got 15 different answers. And they'd say, well, how many ballots did that happen to? And they couldn't tell them. And I'm like, well, I mean, part of it was the fact that they couldn't tell because the ballot count was different all the time. But it was like, don't you have that information or at least a, a good guess, something that you've come to uh, arrive, a conclusion you've arrived at? Isn't that you're, you're at a hearing? Hello? You're at a hearing. They're going to ask you that really dumb, basic question. Why do you not have the answer? Anyway, so he said the physical ballot is the holy grail. Yeah, I'll be writing a story about that so you can catch it over at PJ Media. So let's see. The CDC, the lockdowns, the Christmas lockdowns. And in Thanksgiving, uh, my family broke the laws of three different states or the rules of three different states by having Thanksgiving together. And for Christmas, we broke the laws of two. Um, and... Um, Nobody got COVID. I know two people currently, well, just getting over COVID. Yeah. One's pregnant. And you know, I'll have you know that the OBGYN of this, this young person who's having the baby was never concerned at all about the COVID, was more concerned about the fact that she had strep throat, which of course is a terrible, terrible disease. If you don't get antibiotics on it, you know, remember they used to call it scarlet fever and people died from it. Yeah, exactly. Terrible, terrible disease. So anyway, he was more concerned about the strep than he was about the COVID because he knew that the babies, uh, the babies don't get the COVID. Yeah. So the CDC 
estimates that the burden of illness during the 2018-2019 season, I'm reading here from 2018-2019 season, because I went, I went to the CDC and I said, how many people died of the flu? Because everybody wants to know that, right? Okay, so 35 and a half million people got the flu, the real flu, not what you think is the flu. Like the real flu is like serious business, man. I mean, that's the stuff that, that'll take out kids and grandma. 16 and a half million people were going to a healthcare provider for their illness. There were 490,600 hospitalizations and 34,200 deaths. Okay, from flu in 2018, 2019. And of course, we have an under-reportage of the flu this year because everything's COVID. Now, there's the uh, U.S. congressman who just was elected, and they said COVID, COVID, COVID. He just died. 41 years old, died, gone, Louisiana. And a uh, horrible thing, two small children, uh, young wife. I mean, good grief. I mean, um, uh, it, it's just tragedy. And then, so the doctor said everything, oh, it was COVID, COVID, COVID. And I'm sure it was brought on by COVID, but we do we know that he had a heart condition prior to COVID because the dude died of a heart attack and they're saying it was COVID, 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 which brings me to Washington State. Now, I'm going to get to some of the numbers but I, because I just did the flu numbers, right? But I'm, I've already gone off in this rabbit trail, so I might as well conclude. Washington State, about 20% of the deaths that were that were. Uh, landed at the feet of COVID, they blame COVID for, were not COVID, 20%. Make no mistake, this is not an innocent accounting error we're talking about, according to the Freedom Foundation, who brought up these anomalies, these wrong, forget anomalies, they were just wrong answers, wrong, because they went through the death certificates, Right? And like COVID was never mentioned on any of them. I mean, there were, some of those were just like, well, okay, where's the COVID? Nothing. They still blamed it on COVID. So anyway, this isn't an innocent accounting error we're talking about, said Aaron Wythe, Wythe, maybe, Freedom Foundation National Director. This is a state agency under the authority of Governor Jay Inslee that continues to misrepresent the number of people who have died of COVID even after it was already caught doing the same thing. And they said, oh, well, we'll do better. We'll do better. We'll do better. Then they didn't do better, and they're still doing it. Now Inslee's talking about opening business because, as we found out, lockdowns aren't working. Lockdown. If you want to find out if lockdowns are working, look at California. If California were not on the charts right now, adding to the COVID numbers, everyone else in the United States would have lower COVID numbers. I'm. You're saying no kidding. No, in terms of there would be no growth of COVID were it not for California's expanding caseload. And why is that? They've been under a lockdown since who knows how long. Oh, you can't do this. Masks, you know, this and that. You know, beaches are closed. Parks are closed. This is stupid. You keep people together, more people are going to get COVID. Um, so the fact is that uh, they've known this for a long, long time. They've known that lockdowns don't work. How do I know this? Because I read the... September Wall Street Journal, I'll come back to those numbers again. I'm going to make sure I have it. Wall Street Journal, September. The results are in. Counterintuitive, though it may be, statistical analysis shows that locking down the economy did not contain the disease's spread and reopening it did not unleash a second wave of infections. We've known this since September. This not only comes from 
this Wall Street Journal uh, column or this uh, op-ed actually from the people who counted it, it was supported by world numbers. Measuring from the start of the year to each state's point of maximum lockdown, it turns out that the lockdowns correlated with a greater spread of the virus. You lock them down, you get more. Considering that lockdowns are economically costly and uh, create well-documented long-term public health consequences beyond COVID, imposing them appears to have been a large policy error. As at the beginning, when it was little was known, officials acted in ways they thought prudent. But now evidence proves that lockdowns were an expensive treatment with serious side effects and no benefit no benefit to society. Isn't that interesting? Back to the flu. Back to the flu. So Politico says the coronavirus continues to rage. 19.5 million Americans have tested positive, which means nothing, by the way. We have such sensitive tests that um, you could have just a portion of a scintilla of a fraction of an infinitesimal piece of COVID in your system. And our tests are picking it up and saying that's a positive result. And you're not even, you're not even, you have so little, you couldn't even be classified as asymptomatic. And BT dubs. Uh, a new study that's been adopted, this one, this one happened in uh, China and other people are looking at the methodology and all that stuff. So it's not just from the red, chi- the red Chinese. What we find is that uh, asymptomatic carriers are not a thing. Isn't that interesting? Nevertheless, so 338,632 Americans have died. That's 10 times the amount of people who died from the previous year from influenza. And let's just uh, let's just go with uh, the possibility that 20% of those are off because of what we've learned of how Washington State is counting the deaths and the positive uh, reactions from these uh, overly uh, sensitive tests, was PCR tests. And what you have here is just a big blob of numbers that nobody really has known. You're going to have a, you're going to have a retrospective forensic study on all of these numbers someday. And it's going to show them for the ridiculous, vapid numbers that they probably are. I'm not saying COVID's very serious. My friend had it. He still can't taste stuff. He's as old as I am, though. And I wouldn't say he's the most active person in the world. But, I mean, he's he's out there walking and doing stuff and blah, 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 blah. And um, he said it was no picnic, but it wasn't as bad as he, you know. I mean, he could have died, okay? Right? He could have, right? But he didn't. Yeah, so 20% in Washington State are fake numbers. By that, I mean fake COVID deaths. Okay, so I got the Wall Street Journal story out of the way. I want to make sure I got that. And then I got much, much more. So anyway, you know, what is, uh, what, uh, what is Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, doing about it? Locking down. He's doubling down, tripling down the lockdowns. It hasn't helped. People are di- literally dying, not from COVID, from heartbreak, from every conceivable kind of malady. You know, in, in San Diego, and I, you may have seen my story over at PJ Media about this, uh, the two strip bars that are very well known to every sailor and Marine going through MCR Day. I know they're not supposed to go there. Yeah, okay, sure, they're not supposed to go there. Guess what? They do. So uh, in the Mid- Midway District, as uh, the Battle of Midway, Midway District and Rosecrans, 
Fort Rosecrans National Cemetery. And there are these two strip club clubs. She tried to say the Cheetah Club, and then there's Pacers, and everybody knows Pacers. And what happened was they um, re- they came in, the, they being the public health inspectors and the San Diego County, as well as the uh, tyrannical, I would say, totalitarians that run the state health departments, uh, aided and abetted by Javier Becerra, who's uh, heretofore the erstwhile um, AG, Attorney General in the state of California, say, you can't do that. You can't open. You cannot stay open. So they defied the order and they stayed open. And and what happened was uh, they uh, said, well, you know, we're, we're, we're doing more than you're asking. I mean, we are 15 feet uh, from the client. There are obviously, by definition, no lap dances and stuff like that. And by the, by the way, they, they serve food. And they go, well, you – so the judge, they got a judge, and the judge said, well, you know, this – this lockdown thing, this isn't working, and they're doing more than you guys are asking them to do. Why would you lock them down? It makes no sense. So um, they have a restaurant component in all these places because for some reason, I have no idea why, the steaks at all the strip clubs are the best steaks. Maybe they're strip steaks. I have no idea. New York strip? Who knows? I don't care. Is there a California strip? Is there a San Diego Midway District strip? So there's a strip steak. There's a steak. And uh, so they said they're serving food there. And they're going, what the heck? And all their other restaurants are going, uh, and, oh, and the, the judge's decision was that his decision applied to other restaurant-like activities. Or, that's not the correct verbiage. He, he said it much better than I. But basically, all the rest of the restaurants took it to mean, and he encouraged them to think this way, that, hey, wait a minute. You're, are you, what? Yeah, you can open you just have to take precautions because this lockdown stuff, I'm, shoot, my anniversary was last night, okay? So we're out there and where I live, it's freezing freaking cold, okay? And it doesn't make any sense to wait for a table to go outside in a place where people are waiting for tables and they're inside. And I'm thinking, hey, can I just have a glass of wine in here and maybe, you know, a couple of the appetizers and we'll be good to go inside here instead of going outside in the cold? Yes, they have heaters. It's not enough. And uh, of course not. You can't do that. And Jay Inslee, which is I'm, li- I'm living currently in Washington State. I say currently like I'm going to move. I'm probably not unless you get unless you got a great job for me. And so it's freezing cold outside. I mean, my husband wore long underwear to celebrate our anniversary last night. This is not conducive to anniversaries, by the way. I'm just saying. And and I and I and we brought blankets with us because we've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. The last time we dined out, it was thirty-six degrees, and it was um, this time last night it was about thirty-six and raining. And of course, we're under a tent, whatever. But uh, it's so cold. Okay, so you know, I I pick some food like they have the Marcona almonds, and I love Marcona almonds. Do we not just love Marcona almonds? Well, I'm not gonna pick them up with my gloved hand. That's gross because I know I know where those hands have been. Those gloves have been. They're on car doors and all kinds of things. I take them off. I'm not going to use them for putting food in my mouth. And so, um, but it just made so it made no sense. It just made no sense. So these guys, these poor people who work at the restaurant, they are, of course, confronting these questions all the time. As we all pile pile in, excuse me, <coughs> we all pile in to the waiting room or whatever 
for this place. And we're all inside, nice and warm. And if you, can you just serve me a glass of wine in here while I'm waiting for my table in the, in the, in the Arctic freeze out there? Oh, uh, no. Oh, well, we can't do that. So now Jay Inslee's now trying to figure out how he can minimize the lockdown. On, and, and it wants to re, he wants, quote, unquote, wants to reopen business. He's getting killed in the public opinion polls because everybody, everybody's defying him. Everybody is defying him. You know, I've been going to a gym since I uh, moved here. It's never closed. <laughs> I mean, it isn't. I, I know people who go to gyms where they're doing backdoor gym. You know, it's just all, it's all speakeasy stuff. This is the back door. This is what happened in China, okay? I hate to, you know, do the whole Communist Party thing because, I mean, I like China, okay? I don't like all the commies, but I like China, okay? So when, uh, you know, of course, the Cultural Revolution and all this stuff, you know the stuff they're trying to do here. So uh, what happened was uh, in this old books, Fox Butterfield book that I read a million years ago, when I was going to China, I've gone there, I don't know, two or three times, and it's a wonderful country. And uh, except without the commies, it'd be a lot better. And I think we didn't go visit the Uyghurs. Um, at that point, I'm not sure if I knew about the prison camps. But nevertheless, what I did find out about is that all the people who work in the inside, you know, part of the, the cadres of the folks who run the government, they get all this backdoor stuff. People get, you know, but you want a TV? Yeah, I can get you a TV. I don't know where to get in this stuff, but you know, it's the back of the old truck thing that they do in Jersey and it's the back of the truck. Oh, it just fell up on the back of the truck and it's, there's alcohol, there's all kinds of things. Everything was done through the back door and that's what everybody's doing here. It's the back door. Why? Because you're trying to keep away from the onerous presence of the government, trying to dictate every move of your life. And now we know, as we've heard, lockdowns don't work. And what do we know about in California about where restaurants come in the whole pecking order of companies or businesses or times when one is most likely to uh, get COVID. It's like number four, and it's not even close, okay? Not even close to the others. So this is what Inslee's saying. An updated reopening plan is currently being developed to provide a pathway. Just get shut Inslee, shut up. Get out of the way. You have a knowledge problem. You know what his knowledge problem is? He doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. He doesn't know anything about these businesses and how they could go about conducting themselves safely. I, I got news for him. Nobody wants to get COVID. Nobody. And so they know it's no, it's no joke. And so what, they're, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? They're going to take precautions. And all you need to do is give them ideas and, and ways to do it. And people will decide for themselves whether or not they want to go in that place. That's the way it works. Have you ever said, a friend of mine, okay, this is, this is not even, this is, I'm sure many things have changed since my friend was a food inspector back in the, uh, who knows, 90s, was it the 90s? Okay, so he's a food inspector for San Diego County, and he's no longer doing that now. But at the time, he was a food inspector, you know, restaurant inspector. Like, they used to do, uh, do they still do the A, B, C, D? I used to have an F one that I put in my kitchen, which I thought was funny. I've got it around here somewhere. Nevertheless, so he said he would never, ever eat in a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> and it's like, you know, people know stuff like that. They're like, well, you know, I mean, and I'm not just talking about those whiners on Yelp either. I'm talking about... The people talking to people, I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't go there. They don't wash their hands after going to the bathroom, blah, 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 blah. Nobody wants that. Ain't nobody want that. People know. People get it. They find out. 
next door, if, if nothing else, next door will uh, out them. They don't need Jay Inslee, okay? They just don't need him. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. And stop empowering people, Joe Biden, to be the mask cops. Now, I say that, and I sound a little bit brusque. His first 100 days, he's going to have a mask mandate. Do you know what that means? It means people are going to be narking on their neighbors. This is not conducive to a civilized society and a societal pecking order that we need to observe. And I don't mean I'm better than you. Well, actually, it would result in people who think they're better than the others. I, had a, I live in the sticks, by the way, okay? I live in the sticks, And so I'm out walking. I try to get out walking, right? Because, uh, long story. Obviously, just getting out in the fresh air is a good thing for people. I'm I'm walking. It's, like I say, I I live in the sticks. There's a woman coming the opposite direction. We're the only two people on this rural road. She's wearing a mask. She crosses the street to avoid me as she's walking outside outside. And it's like, uh, that is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. No, no, wait, no, I I lie. That's the second dumbest thing I've ever seen. The dumbest thing I've ever seen with respect to mask police and stuff and people just being super careful. And there's nothing wrong with being super careful, i.e. this. No, there's not. But this is dumb. Okay, picture this, if you will. We're on the 405. It's Orange County, California. People are like 75, 80 80 miles an hour. Beautiful, beautiful day. Beautiful day. It's uh, probably 75, 80 degrees. So the temperature is about what people are traveling, the, the traveling speed of every motorist. Okay? Guy's in a convertible. He's wearing a mask. Now that's stupid. What does he think it's going to fly in the air and find his nostrils? I, I don't know. Well, I mean, maybe. Uh, and the chances of that are. Oh, by... <laughs> this one. This is I'm so enjoying the results of this story because people are freaking out that Trump has just been, according to a Gallup poll. He's come in first as the most admired person in the United States of America. So, uh, yeah, about that election. How about those election results? (laughs) Okay, so I'll keep you posted on what's happening with the Antifa memorabilia, the the characters I have, the mock the block thing. That's mock the black block, which is what they do in Antifa and the anarchists as well. I'll keep you posted on where to find the merch. Keep going to victoriataft.com. Check it out. I, I'll continue to try to keep stuff updated there as to where you're going to find this stuff. And the podcast is there. And uh, new content is, is there as well, she tried to say, because honestly, it's, it's, tough to, it's tough to do all that stuff. But we try. We, we try. Okay. And I'll see you next time. Stick around for uh, Antifa versus Mike Strickland, because this edition is... Well, as they all are, it's they're eye popping. They're just eye popping. Talk about, talk about putting the fix in, man. Just unbelievable. Victoria at victoriataft.com is um, where you can find me. That's that's see, that's my email address. Victoria at uh, at Victoria Taft on Parlor, MeWe, Minds. Uh, let's see what else. Um, Facebook and uh, Twitter. All right. See you next time.
out of here, racist. I'm not a racist. Dude, don't get out of here. Don't put your hands on me. Get out of here. Don't put your hands on me. Get out of here, racist. Do not put your hands on me. Do not put your hands on me. Do not put your hands on me. Before the nightly riots we've seen in the news, there was one case. The first case, the case of Mike Strickland. Now at noon, another court appearance today for the man caught on camera waving a gun at protesters in Portland last month, and now he faces a lot more charges. Michael Strickland faces 21 counts connected to that incident. He was a journalist who was beaten by Antifa and Black Lives Matter protesters, and he defended himself from the mob with his legal gun, and not a shot was fired. Our position hasn't changed. Our client's position has not changed. That he is not guilty, that he was using the um, weapon to protect himself, and he was doing so within his rights. The only one hurt that day in July of 2016 was Mike Strickland. And the only one punished was Mike Strickland, the victim. I'm of the firm and steadfast opinion that when they come for Strickland's rights, they're coming for mine next. See, Antifa says it's anti-fascist, but Antifa is really anti-First Amendment. It's going back to the street violence of the 1920s and 1930s as a technique and a tactic. And the court system doesn't realize it's happening. This is the story of Mike Strickland. By the time Strickland's trial was set, there was still a storyline that the protests with anarchists and Antifa members was still fairly benign, you know, just a part of the Portland protest culture. But it seemed as if they'd conveniently missed the yearly May Day melees in Portland and Seattle. They'd conveniently forgotten the vandalism on the random Friday and Saturday nights, freeway blocking, scream fests by animal rights protesters on a regular basis, fire bombings and arson. The protest scene was well beyond Friday at four drum circles in the park blocks in downtown Portland. Things were getting more violent. After the Black Lives Matter, Don't Shoot Portland, July 2016 attack on Strickland succeeded in sidelining him, there was no limit. Strickland told me it was open season on people like him. Blocking freeways? No problem. Attacking people going to the airport? What are you looking at? Trump supporter? getting sucker punched on the streets. It was happening routinely after the July 26 protest. They started going after other videographers, Stumptown Matters, Leo Stratton. Even Portland State University student turned journalist Andy No was on the streets on occasion and taking Antifa's measure. The local mainstream media didn't hit the streets with the, quote, protesters on a nightly basis. It's not like they were paying very much attention to the growing violence. 
Predictably, local media fell in line with official Portland's line, which was, get in line with leftist Antifa and Black Lives Matter or else, racist. Who needs aggravation from the leftist Portland monoculture? Nobody. On the day of the rally, the day the mob attacked Strickland and then came back to get him booted out of their protest on a city street, it became open season on people who didn't agree with the leftist protesters. The Strickland story was also linked by local media to the Dallas police assassinations, which happened on the same day. Yeah, Joe, we are uh, along the uh, Morrison Bridge. And and first, I want to point out what happened here today doesn't come close to what happened in Dallas, but it was frightening nonetheless. We're on the steps of the Justice Center when all of a sudden people started yelling, gun, 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 and people hit the ground. And it turned out to be a protester uh, pointing a gun at other protesters. It ended peacefully. That, of course, good news. In the meantime, I want to show you what's happening here at the Morrison Bridge. Protesters are trying to take the bridge. Cops in riot gear are trying to stop them uh, from doing so. Sky 8's overhead. You can uh, see just uh, the tense moments unfolding here. I can tell you that these protesters are angry. They're upset and they're hurt about uh, and by what's going on around this country. Take a look. You got to understand this. Black Lives Matter. And we got to say it because it's not white folks getting killed. An emotional but peaceful rally at Pioneer Courthouse Square. A crowd of several hundred protest what they call police brutality. After a half-hour rally, they take their message to the Justice Center. They call for the police chief to come down and address protesters. Then, a dangerous confrontation. One protester pulls a gun on another. Several people race in to keep the peace. Eventually, cops in riot gear move in and make an arrest. As that report from KGW noted, a rally preceded the march. They featured Speaker John Slaughter, one of the organizers of the Don't Shoot Portland rally and march, and a key player in Strickland's case, as you've previously heard. Oddly, KGW did not choose to run any of the sound bites from one of his co-organizers, a member of the new Black Panthers who lectured on gun law and then admonished the hundreds gathered that if the cops got in their way, bust a cap in them, shoot them. If they go about they burden of whatever they said you're doing, you pull your piss out and you fucking bust that. You pull your piss out and you bust that. Because at the end of the day, it's going to be you against them. In fact, it was this guy who later menacingly squared up on Strickland and slowly backed the videographer up the street and away from the protest and the rest of the mob on July 7th. Things are changing, growing more violent, and the media never picked up on it. But they did take a side, as street videographer known as Mike Bluehair noticed walking in downtown Portland. It was so noticeable, in fact, that he did a special video about the news boxes on the street for the two alternative weeklies in Portland, Willamette Week and The Mercury. Strickland's face adorned both boxes. This is Mike Bluehair here reporting for Film the Police Portland. I'm at Southwest 3rd and Southwest West Stark Avenue in Portland, Oregon. And I just want to report to you guys out there on the interweb how Michael Strickland is being basically screwed over and convicted in the court of public opinion by our mostly leftist media here in uh, Portland, Oregon. As you can see, our two free papers, Protest Scare, and it's uh, Michael Strickland there. And it's all gun crazy. And it's got like you know, a picture of him being arrested by our SWAT team. So yeah, 
this guy is being gone after uh, with a vengeance by PSU, Portland State University, uh, our district attorney here. Everybody is just in a froth over this fella. And personally, when all is said and done, after I've interviewed people that were eyewitnesses uh, that saw what went on right before my video starts, I think this guy was most likely acting in self-defense, and this is complete and utter BS. Blue Hair, who was interviewed for this series and who covered the Strickland incident, thought the media fix was in. And it was in this milieu that Strickland went to trial. An effort to change the location of the trial, get it out of the notoriously lefty Multnomah County to a different county, was gaveled down by the judge, no soap, he said. But attorney Jason Short, a local defense attorney specializing in gun law, said he and his partner, Chris Trotter, came loaded with experience. They were buoyed by the knowledge that they just handled a similar case days before in Multnomah County. But they noted later things were different in the Strickland case. It was overtly political. Yeah, I've had multiple cases. I've had cases similar to a person brandishing a firearm, a person pointing a firearm, a person, you know, in Beaverton Municipal Court, in um, Washington County, in Clackamas County, um, Multnomah. Multnomah County, Marion County, um, Jackson County. I mean, I can just, I mean, these are just popping in my head right now. I don't have anything in front of me to help refresh my, like, my recollection, but that's just off the top of my head, probably six or seven that I can think of right now. The vast majority of those, in fact, I'll, well, every single one has been treated differently than this one, than this case with Strickland. In those cases, um, like the one I had in Multnomah County shortly before this incident took place, where it was an individual who was accused of pointing a firearm at uh, three homeless individuals, and he did it in self-protection, you know, to, you know, for self-defense. They were approaching him in a violent manner. And he displayed the firearm to protect himself. And it was as he was doing it, was backing away. You know, very similar type of situation. But that's that individual is, you know, doesn't. No one's mad at him. I mean, he's not uh, known throughout the political community as someone that they don't like. So that individual is charged with menacing, a misdemeanor. He could have been charged with unlawful use of a weapon or. That's the thing that's concerning is that there's a lot of discretion that deputy DAs have, that the DA's office has. And so they have a lot of tools at their disposal when it comes to the statute and, and interpreting certain laws to say, we think these alleged facts can fit this ORS crime, blah, blah, blah. But um, in the 17 years I've been practicing as a prosecutor and as, and as a defense attorney, this is a very unique case where... Um, similarly situated defendants, clients, that are in a similar situation of defending themselves with the use of a firearm. I've never seen anything like this, where so many counts, felonies, and misdemeanors have been unloaded on an individual. Jury selection began February 6, 2017, in downtown Portland. The Oregonian's Amy Green was in the courtroom and preserved some of the questions and answers between the lawyers and prospective jurors. It was a good thing she did. It became very important later on. In the short term, it was a disaster for Strickland. Here are just some of the excerpts from Amy Green's story. 
A 37-year-old man accused of taking out his concealed handgun and pointing it out a crowd of Don't Shoot Portland and Black Lives Matter protesters last summer encountered a daunting reception from some potential jurors this week. She goes on. During jury selection Monday for Michael Aaron Strickland's trial, at least 10 of about 30 Multnomah County residents called for jury duty said it's not smart to ever carry a concealed handgun in public, even though the law allows it. One woman said, even if someone tried to rob her at an ATM, she would not pull out a gun in response because it would only escalate the situation. When questioned about how many people were generally opposed to firearms, nine of the people in the jury pool raised their hands. As the discussion progressed, more said they were opposed on some level, too. It was beginning to look like an unmitigated disaster for Strickland. The story goes on. I don't like guns, one man said. I hate them, said a woman. Another prospective juror said she thinks guns should be legal only for police and maybe for hunters in remote areas where they're responsible for getting their own food, such as Alaska. Even a few hunters in the group said they only take their guns out for hunting trips and then lock them up at home, where they belong, they said. I have pretty strong feelings about the type of person who would want to carry a gun around for personal protection, said one hunter. I'm an advocate of guns, said another hunter. I like guns, actually, but I think most people, if they have the proper training, they should know when to and when not to pull them out. I'm just afraid that someone would be killed, and it wouldn't have happened if the firearm wasn't there, said a woman. I'm just very uncomfortable with a gun coming out. A few of the people said the circumstances would have to be truly extreme to warrant using a gun. Someone kicks me? I shouldn't pull a gun on him, one said. Short, that's Strickland's attorney, asked if any of them had ever had to make a split-second decision to protect their well-being. Yes, said one man. He was once attacked and robbed by five people, and he decided not to fight. I chose to be a pacifist, the man said. What Amy Green might not have heard was that another juror said she'd been at the same protest where Strickland had pulled out his gun. Another volunteered for an anti-gun group that Strickland had highlighted in some of his videos. With no change of venue allowed and a jury pool made up of people who were aware that Strickland had a gun and was framed as a crazy gun-owning racist, it was a hot mess. So, attorneys Short and Trotter asked for the jurors to be dismissed and opted for a bench trial. Successful undercover videographer James O'Keefe produced a video of support for his friend Strickland. He said on the video that Strickland's information in the video in the public domain would prove Strickland's innocence and the need for self-defense. So was the unholstering justified? Uh, well, fortunately, we don't have to debate the facts like we did in Missouri with Michael Brown. We don't have to talk about what happened or how it happened. We have it all on video. And that's really, that's really what I draw from, from things like this. If there was not video, perhaps we would have been talking about all the additional things that Mike Strickland did not do. Maybe there would have been accusations that he hurled racial slurs. Maybe the, there would have been accusations he, he pushed someone or assaulted someone. Well, in this video, you actually see other people assaulting him. I'm not turning my camera off. I'm good. Don't do that. Don't do that. Dude! Hey, 
And there's always a sense of relief knowing that at least the justice system can debate the, the, the merits of the case, can adjudicate justice, uh, not try to determine facts. And, and I know that the, the, the judges, the county courts can sometimes be corrupt, that I understand, but at least the public knows what happened here. And that's a good thing. So was this justice? Will there be justice? I'm gonna let you decide, but I am going to link to Mike's Legal Defense Fund. Things weren't that simple, though. Even though the same judge had ruled in favor of a gun owner just days before, the bench trial idea, just going with a judge instead of a jury, immediately began to backfire. All of a sudden, Judge Thomas Ryan placed a gag order on the proceedings so attorneys could not talk about the discovery in the case, the evidence, which meant they couldn't talk to the media about any exculpatory evidence about their client, Mike Strickland. The video Strickland himself took, showing his attackers, at least somewhat, including the marauding 400-pound Ben Carenza, was placed under seal until late in the trial. Strickland couldn't release it to his YouTube account. No one could see it. There was no issue with tainting a jury pool, after all. There was no jury. The judge was the only one adjudging the evidence, and still, he hid it away. And Strickland's frame of mind, his experience with Antifa, his attack on July 7th, and the previous attack by that movie producer previously discussed in these episodes, were suddenly not germane to a man being mobbed and needing to defend himself. The reasonable man theory became the reasonable man theory as long as he's a non-gun-owning judge who's never been attacked before. Strickland's own statements to police right after the incident were ruled hearsay and inadmissible in court. For Strickland and his attorneys, it was a disaster. Several times during my interviews with Trotter and Short, they had to stop the conversation because they said they didn't want to get in trouble with the judge. But I said, this is already in the public domain. And they said, we can't risk it. Police officers that were there didn't charge him or arrest him, did they? Or they t they arrested him. They put him in cuffs, right? Well, now we're, so we can't get into the discovery. And there's some information that is public, right? Mm -hmm. That was made public as prior to the protective order being issued. So. The facts of the case are in public and you can't talk about them? Well, the video's in public. I mean, there's some certain things that are posted, but again, the protective order is covering the discovery, and that information and those videos are part of discovery. So it could be interpreted that even though it's public, it's still part of discovery. So we don't want to have to get into a, a, a disagreement and show up in court to say, well, you discussed the facts, and I can then argue, well, the yeah, the, but what I discussed was public already. record and already made public record, but then an argument could then still be, so, well, look, you know, this protective order covers all the discovery. That video is part of the discovery, even though it's published and it's on the internet, it's still part of the discovery. And so we just don't want to put ourselves in a situation where it's going to jeopardize his case and, or jeopardize us to, you know, and compromise his case. I prefer not to be held in contempt. The judge had neutered his plans to argue a case of self-defense. Constitutional appeals attorney Robert Barnes plays prominently in the Strickland case. He says the attorneys unknowingly walked into not a gun case, a political case. So what happened in the lower court proceedings is the uh, Michael's trial court lawyer 
wasn't quite accustomed to political cases and because of that didn't know to preserve and protect things that aren't normally preserved and protected in your typical criminal trial. So in most criminal trials, because it's expensive, the lawyer doesn't order transcripts for all of the proceedings. And here he didn't order the voir dire transcripts. But what was put on the record was that over half of the jurors had a bias based on completely false information about Michael. He had been subject to a libel campaign, a defamation campaign by parts of the Portland press and public arena, by the prosecutor themselves, who made misrepresentations, later acknowledged that her statements were inaccurate, not true, that be, those statements ended up infiltrating into the jury. And the significance from a venue perspective is it presents a novel question for the state of Oregon, which is most presumed prejudice cases are where uh, have to reach a ridiculous standard. So the Supreme Court even said Houston could try Jeff Skilling in the Enron case when a lot of lawyers and public observers thought that was rather ludicrous given how, how intense the emotions were in Houston about Enron. But what's different here than there is there weren't deliberately false statements false confessions, false things being reported about Mr. Skilling. It was just the accusations that were in the indictment. So whereas here, there were completely false statements made, false statements made by the prosecutor themselves that would have undue influence with the jury pool. It did have an undue influence with the jury pool. And there was some evidence of that, even if the evidence wasn't preserved and protected as best it could. Are, be. you, are you referring to the so-called police report? Um, so uh, yes, because what happened is the prosecutor came out and it tied him, tied Michael into Orlando, tied Michael into making statements about racial beliefs that he never made. Uh, and in particular, it was the combination of the two, tying it into the Orlando shooting incident and tying it into uh, racial beliefs that would... The whole goal was this wasn't some little guy trying to video uh, tape people out in the streets who's being assaulted repeatedly and trying to briefly defend himself. Uh, this is a dangerous right-winger who's joining some secret militia who's part of the kind of other scary violent events that have frightened us. So it was, it was meant to tap a milieu, political milieu, that was completely false. And it was, this whole case is predicated on a lie. This wasn't a regular case. This was a political show trial. Next time on Antifa versus Mike Strickland. This week's episode of the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is brought to you by VictoriaTaft.com. Editing, mastering, advertising, technical support, and understanding for the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is by 1Acast. The music is gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for the case of Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by RC, and it is used by permission. Find RC on all social sites at Raps by RC. Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and Instagram at Raps by RC. Imaging for the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is by 1A Cast. Logo by Hageman Creative. Find him on Instagram. Photo of Victoria Taft is by Hilly Collective. The Adult in the Room podcast is produced by Flamingo Road Studios. All rights reserved.